God, we need you to come. We need your spirit to be upon us and with us. Um, we're hard-hearted people, easy and quick to forget um, who you are, um, slow to hear. I pray that you would um, help us to hear your word, to be changed by it, that um, you'd come in power. Bless our gathering this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to read from Luke 21, verses 5 to 19. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when, the, when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and that the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Thank you. That's my beautiful wife. Praise God for her. Um, that was pretty impressive, Kate. Good job. Uh, well, let's pray together. Father, we are eager to hear from you, so would you come and speak? Speak through me, Lord. Help me to preach boldly as I ought, clearly. Father, I ask that you would drive away Satan and that you would help us. Lord, I know that we talk about a topic like this, bearing witness in the earth that Satan wants to disrupt and discourage the people of God because this is our means of advancing your kingdom. So we pray, God, for your kingdom come right now in us. Work in, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Well, it is such a pleasure to be with you. If you're new, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. It's always a privilege to get to teach this book. I usually am singing and uh, when I get to do this, it is, it's fun. I love it. So, human beings avoid risk, right? Not just physical risk, though. We tend to avoid pretty much any confrontation. I mean, really, even just an awkward conversation, we just tend to shy away from it, don't we? Right? Sometimes I say to you, why don't you turn and say hi to somebody? And you're like, eh, okay, I'm out of here, <laughs> Right? 
But Christ followers have typically been an anomaly in this area. Instead of avoiding risk, we, we, we've actually sent and gone into the most risky places on earth. We've jumped on planes and ships at great risk to ourselves. Why? To preach the saving message of Jesus, this gospel message. Even some of you, even, even our missional communities, you know, we're, we're going into malls, Mall of uh, America, mall, the Somali Mall. We go to parks in Minneapolis, to the streets, at risk of being maligned, at re- risk of something worse. We go not avoiding confrontation, though it's obviously still hard for us, but we, we go because we've been called to go. What gives us this peace? What gives us this boldness to go at risk to ourselves? That's the, kind of, that's the question I want to answer today. First, this is the first sermon of two that we're going to unpack Jesus' teaching on the end of the world. So this week, we're going to see uh, a teaching of Jesus that kind of leads us up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And next week, we're going to hear from Pastor Ross, who's going to unpack this age that we're living in and the second coming. So let's go, in, go ahead and dive in. I'll have the text up here on the screen and you can also follow along in your Bibles. Verse five, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So this passage starts with, the conjunction, and, which should cue us into Luke's train of thought. He's, he's laying something out for us that he wants us to see. And sometimes we, we miss what authors are doing because of verse and uh, headers and chapter divisions. But I think it's important that we look back a little bit. We look at the context when we're reading in sections like this. So if you look back a little bit in Luke, you'll find that Luke's narrative has slowed down quite a bit bit since Jesus entered Jerusalem. Jesus has entered Jerusalem and he actually, as he's headed to the cross, as as Luke unpacks this narrative, there's repeated themes. And one of the important themes that he repeats is that there's going to be a removal of the current religious system. It's coming down. Why, Why does he emphasize this? He emphasizes it because... It has been perverted by greed. It's been perverted by hypocrisy, the neglect of the outcast and Gentiles. We, we see this all leading up to, the, to our text today. Most of all, Jesus says it would be removed, this current religious system would be removed because of their rejection of Jesus. God was going to remove it because of their rejection of him. So we're told that Jesus is teaching these things daily in the temple. He's come to Jerusalem, and night and day, he's he's in the temple teaching these things. And one day, while he's there, our text says that the people are looking around, and they're just marveling at the temple and all the offerings. That is, the the curtains and the different instruments of worship. There was good reason to to marvel and to uh, appreciate those things. It was a place of grandeur and beauty. Herod's temple was... Fantastic. It was, frankly, larger than most of all the the seven wonders of the world. It was 
Uh, the perimeter of the, the temple ground was about one mile. The stones that remain today were, were really, you could fill about half of this room with one of the stones. 45 feet by 12 by 12, weighing somewhere around 570 tons. The place was spectacular and it provided for these people a sense of security in a moment where they were ruled by a pagan nation. They were ruled by a pagan nation, but looking at this amazing place caused them to feel a sense of security and strength. But Jesus took this moment, like he always does, he takes moments to teach. And what does he say to them? He says, this is all coming down. It's all coming down. Not one stone left upon another. This is a, a startling claim for those who, you know, their, their whole religious system was built around that temple. Their, their hope, their festivals. This was the center of Jewish life. So naturally the people ask, verse 7, they say, teacher, when? When is this going to happen and what are the signs that this is going to take place? The Jews were versed in the Old Testament prophets and they looked at books like Daniel and they interpreted it as interpreted it as saying that there's coming a, a desolation of Jerusalem, of the temple. So they understood that there was going to be something that happened to the temple. But what they also did was they, they saw that, that desolation coming on, on Jerusalem as a sign of the end of time. In other words, if, if Jerusalem's coming down, if the temple's coming down, God is about to come back and destroy all his enemies and rule and reign. They saw this together, but Jesus, he corrects their thinking with his answer. Look at verse 8. He says, see that you are not led astray. So he's about to unpack what, what it's going to be like. What is, what is going to happen leading up to the destruction of the temple? See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he! And the time is at hand. Jesus says, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. That's key. So Jesus first warns them. He's concerned for their hearts. They're concerned about the temple and when everything's about to go down, Jesus is concerned for their hearts. He says, make sure you aren't led astray. This implies there's going to be, it's going to be easy for them to be led astray. These people are going to be coming and they're going to say, it's now. I'm he. And Jesus says, do not go after them. He says, there's going to be wars. There's going to be great uproars. There's going to be all kinds of things that would cause you to be terrified and think, the end is now. It's coming now. But he says, don't be terrified. The end will not come at once. This phrase is, is key. The end will not come at once. Yes, this would be an unsettling time. It would cause many to think that the time had come. But Jesus is saying it's not going to come in the way you think. The end is not going to come in the way you think. So then how is it going to come? Let's 
continue. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. What Jesus is saying is chaos is going to increase. He just keeps, he keeps going on and he listen, lists all these frightening things. Disease, wars, famine. Everything that would make you feel like the world is falling apart, it's shaking. That stuff is going to happen. He even says there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. I think this points to turmoil not only in the physical but also in the spiritual realm. All of reality seems to be shaking. Jesus is saying it's all going to feel like it's over. But then he says these important words. Look at verse 12 with me. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. In verse 12, Jesus zones in with these important words, but before all this, as, as if he hasn't already said enough to get us shaking in our boots, he, he goes on to describe an age where his followers would face great persecution. This seems to be what Jesus is most concerned about. He focuses in here. The rest of the text is really going to unpack how the disciples are going to respond to this persecution. The people want to know about their beloved temple. They're concerned about the end times, how it's all going to unfold. But Jesus focuses in on something more important. He is focusing on the faithful witness of his people in this age of persecution. There's coming a time... Jesus says that his disciples are going to be persecuted for his namesake. And he is concerned that they would be faithful through that season. He's setting them up. He's preparing them. The world is going to feel like it's going to end, but he says, not yet. Actually, you're going to be threatened because you bear my name. You are about to suffer. Why? For my namesake. Because you bear my name, you will be put before kings. You will be put into the synagogues. You will be betrayed before men. But get this. Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Man, when I think opportunity, that is not what I think about. I'm like, not like opportunity to bear witness I'm like my life is at risk Jesus and you're calling this an opportunity we live in the land of opportunity right and so often we think man new job that's an opportunity more money that's an opportunity some adventure the girl we like whatever that's the opportunity right but Jesus is like this is an opportunity the very thing that we are inclined to run from he says, is an opportunity. This is your opportunity to speak of the precious, saving, life-giving, healing, resurrecting name of Jesus. This is your opportunity. And this is what Jesus is concerned about for his followers. This is what he wants them to pay attention to. 
This is the moment to tell the world about Jesus, he says. You see, Jesus is saying to them, you are about to follow in the footsteps of the prophets. You are about to follow in my footsteps. What they are about to do to me, they're going to do to you. That's what he's setting them up for. He's preparing them. Verse 16, he says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Those are startling words, aren't they? Parents. Your brothers, your sisters, your friends. Can you imagine the people that you're closest to? I, I, you guys are buds. Like, Imagine if you betrayed one another so that they got killed because of the name of Jesus. Imagine if a parent betrayed you for the name of Jesus. This is what Jesus says is going to happen. And some of you are going to die because of it. Following Jesus may cost your family, cost you your family and your closest friends. Jesus was about to be beaten and executed on a cross. And he says, it will happen to some of you too. Jesus was hated by all. He was condemned by the crowds to be crucified. And he said, it's going to happen to some of you for my namesake. What about these words, my namesake? This is the second time that he says this. And I want to explain that a little bit. If you're a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. You're, you're a follower of Christ. You're a little soldier of Christ. However you want to put it, you are bearing the name of Jesus. And what a precious thing that is to bear the name of Jesus, to belong to him, to be united to him. To carry in jars of clay this treasure, this saving gospel message. We know the king. We know the saving gospel message. How awesome is that, church? It's amazing. And yet, what great cost comes with bearing the name of Jesus? What great cost comes with simply claiming that Jesus is your Lord and Master and King. I recognize that many of us hearing this today are surround, we're surrounded by like-minded people and we, we probably feel a, a general sense of security. I don't know if, if many of you have experienced much suffering for Jesus' name in your lifetime. You probably feel pretty secure. It probably feels like it did for me a little bit as I'm reading these words. Like, Jesus, I don't identify with this in the way that your church has through history. I don't identify with that sort of physical suffering. I think similarly, uh, the Jews sitting right there, probably surrounded by the temple, surrounded by all their friends, they're probably thinking, Jesus, how can you say this? They, they feel secure, Right? But Jesus wanted them and he wanted us to understand something important about the age that they were about to enter. Suffering, persecution is going to define our experience as a Christian. 
That goes so much against American idea of, of Christianity, right? It's going to get better. You, you, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He's going to, if you follow him, everything's going to kind of get better. You're going to get more money, whatever you want, right? But no, Jesus says, taking the name, taking my name upon yourself means suffering. It means persecution before he comes again. All who bear the name of Jesus will be persecuted. This is exactly what Paul asserts in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think all encompasses us. If you want to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted in some way. And why? Why is there such a battle? Why is there so much opposition to the name of Jesus? Friends, we sang it just a few minutes ago in that song. There is a spiritual battle right now that we live in. There's more than what meets the eye. When we go out and share the name of Jesus with our friends, it's not a simple interaction. There's something going on. There's a battle for that person's soul. There's a war for them. There's an enemy. Satan does not want to give up any of his rule and domain. But every single time we preach this saving message of Jesus, there is an opportunity for someone to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of God to advance in the world. And that is the witness. That is the call of the Christian that is what we are entering into. That is what we exist in right now. Jesus wants them to be prepared. And he wants us to be prepared for what the end is really going to look like. And all that's leading up to the end. I think sometimes we get, get discouraged. It, it's easy to, to lose hope. It's, it's easy when, when people talk about Jesus coming again. It's like, Lord, it just keeps going on and on and on. We have just the same thing. It's the same people in these seats. Where are you, Lord? What are you doing? Jesus wanted you to be aware of what this age is going to look like. We're living in the overlap of the ages, what theologians call already but not yet. The kingdom has come in Jesus and yet it has not fully come. This is what Jesus is preparing his people for. They're about to enter an age where the kingdom spreads through their witness, and that time will require great endurance. But he doesn't stop with doom and gloom. This is what I love about our Lord Jesus. It's not just lay a burden on you, try your best. That's what a lot of the religions, pretty much every religion of the world does. Here's the command, go do it. No, Jesus is going to give us something better than that. He gives us two incredible promises. We're going to unpack those. Number one, he's, he's going to tell us, I, I will be with you and I will help you in these trials. And number two, not a hair of your head will perish. This is where it gets good, really, really good church. So let's look at number one. I will be with you and help you in these trials. Jesus says in verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds. That is, when they bring you before synagogues and rulers, settle it in your minds. 
not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Why? Because I will give you a mouth in wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. No matter who you face, he says. No matter who you stand before, you do not need to worry about what you're going to say in that moment. Why? He's going to give you a mouth and wisdom. Here's the promise. When you stand there, I will be with you to help you, to know what to say, to what to do. So much so that your enemies will not be able to withstand you. This is encouraging to me. I, I, I shake in my boots when I, I get together with, I'm a leader of the MC, right? One of our missional community groups. And when we go out to minister to people, sometimes I just, I'm like, Lord, I just don't want to do this. I'm tired of the awkwardness. I'm tired of people rejecting me. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of trying to lead your people into this thing that just seems to fall flat so often. It's hard. I shake in my boots. But listen to this. Jesus says to us that he's going to give us a mouth and wisdom. I don't think Jesus is just saying if you're before a king that that's when he shows up for you. Right? Isn't this what the Holy Spirit has been given for? That he is with us in every situation, church. He's with us in every moment to help us when we open our mouths and try to bear witness to his name. It's not just when we're standing before some great ruler. No, he cares about when you're sitting next to your classmate in school and you're trying to talk to them about Jesus. He cares about your neighbor, your conversation with your, with your spouse, who's an unbeliever, perhaps. He knows what you need and he promises to be with you there and give you what you need. That encourages me. How about you? It's a good word for us. We see this happening in the book of Acts over and over again. The church is is brought before kings, rulers, before tumultuous crowds. And what what do we see them doing? We see them preaching boldly. And what, why are they doing that? How are they doing that? It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And church, that same Holy Spirit is ours today. He lives in us. He's for us. Jesus is preparing them and telling them, you're going to face these things, but you're not going to do it alone. Let's look at the second promise. Not a hair of your head will perish. Let's look at Verse 18, he says, though you will be put to death, though you will be hated by all for my name's sake, read these words out loud with me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Wow. Wait a minute, Jesus, you just said that some of us were going to die. How can you say that? Jesus is not contradicting himself. No, but he's, he's laying out for us a spiritual or a reality for Christians that no matter what comes at us, whether we die or get brutally beaten, they cannot ultimately spiritually harm us. Let me say that again. We could perish for preaching Christ, but he says spiritually they can't touch you. Jesus knew this better than all, right? He was about to go to the cross and have 
into his head a crown smashed. Hair of his head ripped out. Beard ripped out. He was going to be mocked. His skin was going to be thrashed head to toe. And yet Jesus knew that he was going to rise from death and be given a new body. And every single hair would be restored. Every single hair. He was going to get a new resurrection body in the same way, church. We who hold fast to Jesus, even if we die, will live. We will be given a resurrected body, meaning that we could have all the kingdoms of the earth stand before us and malign us and mock us and rip our hair out and kill us. But not a hair of your head will perish. Man, if that is not emboldening, I don't know what is. Jesus said in another place, do not fear those who can kill the body. He said, fear the one who, rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is God. God is the one to fear. He says in another place, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. With this promise, Jesus is offering his followers a much more lasting and firm foundation to stand on than a human temple. He is providing something stronger for us to stand upon. The temple would fall. The world around us shaking. Parents, siblings, maybe our children rejecting us, turning away. And he says, you're on solid ground Christian, you're on solid ground. If you believe in him, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you cannot truly die. That is solid ground. Many have been killed and will be killed because of the name of Jesus. But it is by clinging to that name that they live right now. Many have been killed for that name. Maybe some of us will be killed for that name, but it is by clinging to that precious name of Jesus that we live. Amen? This is the main point of Jesus' teaching. Look at verse 19 with me. He says, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Will you just say that word, endurance, with me? Endurance. That one word could potentially sum up the experience of the Christian. It could sum up the Christian life, endurance. I just, I, I guess I'm almost 35 now. On my 34th, I was going to say I just turned 34. Man, time flies. Um, on my 34th birthday, a friend, an older friend of mine, some of you Older friends of mine that I'm making are like, this friend's not that old. He's like 45 or 50. <laughs> he says, he, he wrote me and he said, Daniel, the, the road is long. The race is hard. He said, as I get older, it gets clearer how difficult and long the road is. 
He was encouraging me to be steadfast. Many of us need a reorientation to what the Christian life is like. We need a reorientation to what Christianity is like. Jesus says that it's endurance. He says it's going to often feel like those last few reps in a workout. It's going to often feel like the last lap in a race. We're just burning. It hurts. Isn't that true? Every single day is so challenging just to resist the flesh. Every single day there's temptations that come at us from every direction. And then add to that the temptation to run away when we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. We fear man. We're scared of what people will think of us. We're scared of our comfort being disrupted. We're scared of our reputations being maligned in our workplace. We're scared. Jesus says that reaching in the end is just as important as the beginning. Endurance. Friends, it's not as easy as a prayer. You don't just say a prayer and that's the end, you're saved. Salvation is more than a baptism. It's more than a confession of faith. The scriptures teach that it's an endurance. You must reach the end. We must reach the end. Hebrews 3.14 says it very clearly. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Could not be clearer than that. We are called to endure. When we think it's time to run and hide to try to spare our lives, when we want to run away, he says, stand. Stand before the devil's threats. Stand. And guess what? If you endure, it's then that you will gain your lives. Endure and you will gain your lives. So now I just want to ask, how are we called to endure? How are we going to endure? Friends, it's by clinging to these precious promises of our Lord Jesus. There's no other way than by holding fast to what our Lord has given us today. This word is so important for us right now in the 21st century because we're still here 2,000 years later trying to make sense of Jesus' words. So many people get tripped up We've, just with this sheer reality. We're 2,000 plus years past Jesus' life, death, resurrection. How can, you, how can you keep believing? We need these words from our, our Jesus who is reminding us that this is what it's going to be like and this is how we're going to endure. I also want you to know that all of these things that Jesus said were coming came about. These weren't just words to the wind. Jesus was speaking truth. He, he spoke that the, the world was going to fall apart like this. You can read it in, in secular historical documents. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Rome. In years leading up to that, there were famines and wars and false prophets who led many people astray. The apostles, all but, all but John, were killed preaching the gospel as, as it spread around the earth. Countless thousands of Christians would be burned at the stake or fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum and in similar places under various Roman 
rulers. Everything he said came to pass. In each moment, we see these Christians dying for their faith. Especially as it's recorded in the book of Acts, we see people emboldened by these promises of our Lord. We see people emboldened to preach the good news, even at the sake of, for the sake of their lives, or at the cost of their lives. I was shocked as I researched persecution of Christians this week. If you do a simple Google search, persecution of Christians, you'll, you'll find lists of pretty much every nation in the world with stories of great atrocities committed against Christians. Friends, this is the norm for the church. This has been the norm from the time that Jesus spoke these words. This has been the norm. Even up to this day, just, just in 1999, there was a... a, a Australian missionary. He went to India. His name was Graham Staines. Maybe you've heard this. A feature film has just come out actually about, about this man. And he was burned alive with his two boys in his car by Hindu extremists, by anti-Christian activists. They hated the name of Jesus and they put some of Jesus' people to death. I read another story about a Somali man named Billy. They called Billy. And he, he was the son of a, of a really well-known uh, Muslim man. Very, very staunch, very, uh, very faithful Muslim. And he, he got a hold of Christian scriptures and he began to read it alongside the Quran. And the story goes that, that as he read, he came to faith as he read the stories of Jesus in the Bible. Sometime later, he, he met another Somali Christian, and when he did, they started a little fellowship. And the, the church began to grow and spread as they shared the message of Jesus until they were growing in number, about 15 or so. And then one by one, their congregation started to get picked off, shot and killed hit by a car in the street. One by one, up until 12 of them, 12 of their small congregation were killed. This is just recent years. Billy barely escaped with his life, and now guess what he does? He continually goes back into Somalia to strengthen the believers. He goes right back into the place that tried to kill him. Can you imagine that? How does, how does he go emboldened like that? He goes holding on to this promise. Not a hair of his head will perish. Friends, Christians through the century have preached the message. They've seen these moments as opportunities to witness because of these precious promises. It's getting closer to home than that though, church. I'm convinced that we're not far. We're not far from more persecution in our nation. This nation used to be considered a Christian nation. No, not anymore. Neighboring countries are making laws forbidding Christians from teaching particular biblical truths. And we have become the intolerable. 
There's this, there's this work right now. The world is, they have made, they have waged a war against absolute truth. And they have ironically claimed in absolute truth that Christians are intolerable. intolerable. We have become intolerable. And I think it's only going to continue. So as I close, how do we live in light of this reality? What else than speak the name of Jesus? What else? Jesus calls us to endure And part of endurance is just simply opening our mouths and bearing witness. We are called to bear witness. We're tempted to shy away, but Jesus says part of enduring is opening our mouths. We believe, Christians, we believe that this life is more than 80 years here, don't we? We believe that. It's not just about peace and comfort and safety in this world. No, Jesus has promised us eternal life. And so my hope this morning with this message is that you would simply be emboldened like the saints of old to preach this good news, to stand, to endure for the name of Jesus. How? By these precious promises. Jesus said, I will be with you and help you wherever you go with whomever you face. And not a hair of your head will perish, amen? Church, we have a solid foundation. It's, it's not a temple, It's not this people, it's not this building, it's not a denomination. All those things will pass away, but our foundation is Christ. By his life, we have gained, by his death, we have gained life. By his rejection, we have been accepted. And this is the message that we preach to our neighbor. I don't know when or how persecution will come to you, but the word says that it will come, and Jesus has reminded us that of that today. But even if you are not facing that right now, I just want to point you as a, another application to Hebrews chapter 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body The author of Hebrews says, remember those who are persecuted right now for Jesus' sake. They're they're one with you. Remember them. Pray for them. I want to call you to do the same today. Pray for the persecuted like our Somali brothers and sisters across the seas, like those in North Korea, like those all around the world in every place that Christ is named. So in this confidence, church, in these promises, let's Let's go and talk to our neighbor this week, not being afraid. He is with us to help us in every trial, amen? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you've given us your word and these precious promises. And now we ask as we sing and as we worship that we would commit ourselves to bearing your name faithfully. We would take up this opportunity that you've given us in this overlap of the ages until you come again to share this saving message of Jesus. I pray that you'd help me to be more faithful. Help us to not be so prone to fear. Embolden us by your Holy Spirit that you've given each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus. Fill us, Lord. We pray this in your name.